today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. says, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meetings. You come in and you have your quote-unquote worship service. You go through your rituals, your ceremonies, your sacrifices. They don't mean a thing. I don't have your heart. God says that, I believe, to the church of today. Come in and we can have glorious meetings. We're going to have powerful worship. We're going to have outstanding speakers. And we can go through the motions and we can raise funds to build this or to do that. But you know what? If God doesn't have our hearts, it's absolutely empty. It's absolutely useless. The nation of Israel was birthed into existence because of the mercy and grace of God. Its foundations were securely anchored in God's revealed word and its purpose was to bring glory to God. But God's revelation to Isaiah exposed a prosperous nation that had drifted away from the devotion that characterized its beginnings. It was compromised and corrupt. Sin led the nation down a path that could only end in judgment. In today's message, Pastor David will plead with us to humbly return to God. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Isaiah chapter 1 as he continues his message, God's Judgment and Comfort. We are in the book of Isaiah, 66 chapters, and in those 66 chapters, I believe, uh, again, the, the whole of God's revelation and his plan of redemption are packed within those 66 chapters. We see Isaiah's revelation, again, of, of how God was so deeply displeased with his own people the people that he had called to himself, the people that he had brought out of captivity, the people that he had set up as a nation that he had blessed in so many ways. And I shared with you last week at the beginning of that lesson, can you imagine a nation who had been blessed abundantly by God over and over and over, a nation that God allowed to be birthed out of nothing to finally get to the point where they're rejecting the one that's been blessing them. And we saw the similarities between Israel or Judah and the United States. Unfortunately, I believe that truth is there. Well, here in Isaiah, we're going to read about how God's wrath, again, is going to be poured out uh, upon all of them. God's wrath is going to come down on his children. Uh, God's wrath is going to come down on the nations that were around them. And yet in the midst of that, we also see that that promised redemption, that that promised way of salvation, because in the midst of all those that had turned from him, one of the other things that we see in here is this whole idea of the remnant, the remnant. And you know what a remnant is. That's, that's the ones that aren't following along with all the rest. You might look and say, man, that, the, the, the whole of the country has gone dark. But then we realize, no, 
Here there's a few. Here there's a few. Here there's pockets. Here there's some that are still seeking to follow after God. Chapters 1 to 39, for the most part, that's where God's charge against the nations is listed and uh, the, the verdict against the people. And then from chapters 40 on through chapter 66, for the most part, we see God's plan of pardon, his, his desire to, to pardon them, his willingness to provide even the atonement to bring the people back to him uh, if they would turn, if they would come back to him. He would provide the means or the way. And so from the beginning, we actually see where as Isaiah writes, he, in, in his writing style, by and large, he pretty much takes on the voice of God. He'll be writing there, and it's, there's a lot of, and I have, and, and I have spoken to you. You know, again, taking on the voice of God, speaking first person. Isaiah is not the voice of God. He is a vessel that the voice of God was being sent through. He writes this prophetic message, and by and large, he writes it in first person. Let's look at chapter one real quick. And chapter one is, that's a great chapter one, by the way. It it is a great way to start this book because in chapter one, it pretty well lays the deal out. It kind of says, okay, this is what the situation is. And this is what we're going to be dealing with from here on in. So I'm going to probably read most of chapter one just because of the depth of it, and then we'll go from there. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. He says, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know my people do not consider. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evil doers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backwards. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more because the whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there's no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Can you kind of see some parallels of what's going on here? He does say your your cities are burned with fire, that strangers devour your land uh, in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in the garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Now, when you think about that, a, a hut in, in a, uh, a vineyard there, or a hut in the garden of cucumbers, a booth in a vineyard, that means there's absolutely no protection. They're just out there all on their own. Why? Because God has taken his protective hand off of them. But you know what? We as a nation, I think because we backed away from God so much, we are now sitting out as a hut in a cucumber field or a booth in a vineyard with not a whole lot of protection around us. 
Oh, but pastor, we've got all of our missiles and we've got all of this armor and we've got all this sophisticated electronic uh, mumbo jumbo. And I say, that's great, but you know what? They do too. And other nations have these kinds of things. We are not as protected as we think we are. And at the moment we believe that we can protect ourselves from every harm, that's the moment we are in the most of danger. God's hand upon our nation has sustained us through these 250 years in ways that we, we can't even begin to imagine. Our nation was nearly destroyed in, in the, the Civil War. Nearly destroyed, but by the hand of God that allowed our nation to come back together. And we're still, let's be honest, we're still not 100% back together even at that. But it's only by God's hand that we're able to do whatever we're able to do at this point in time. Verse 9 says, unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. Oh, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Now, he's not speaking back to Sodom. No, he's calling Judah or Israel. He's calling them Sodom, okay? Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams, of the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or in the lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and the Sabbaths and the callings of the assemblies. Catch this. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meetings. Remember what I shared with you last week that uh, it was Ahaz who had invited into the temple all of this pagan worship, brought in uh, again an example or a replica of a pagan altar that he had seen up in Damascus and had it placed right beside the altar of God right there on the temple property. Temple prostitutes, all of this kind of profanity and perversion being brought in. God says, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meetings. You come in and you have your quote-unquote worship service. You go through your rituals, your ceremonies, your sacrifices. They don't mean a thing. I don't have your heart. God says that, I believe, to the church of today. We come in and we can have glorious meetings. We can have powerful worship. We can have uh, outstanding speakers. And we can go through the motions and we can raise funds to build this or to do that. But you know what? If God doesn't have our hearts, it's absolutely empty. It's absolutely useless. He goes on to say, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates, they're a trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. And you would think at that point, God would say, so be done with you. And just with the wave of his hand, the world would be gone. Israel would be gone totally. But that's not who our God is. Our God, in the midst of his holiness and righteousness, there is the balance of grace and mercy. 
even as we look at these attributes of God on Tuesday morning with the men, none of those attributes outweigh the other because they are perfect in the attributes that God has. In his righteous holiness, he also has grace and mercy. And even when God pours out his wrath upon us, do you realize that when God pours out his wrath, it's still balanced with his grace and mercy because of who God is? And you would think at the end of this declaration against them that God would say, that's it, I'm done. But that's not where he is. Look with me if you would in verse 16. He says, wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. And he knows that we, we're, we're not washing all unrighteousness away. He's saying, no, make some choices. Make a deliberation to, to, to stop going that direction. That's what he means here, to wash yourselves, to make yourselves clean. Stop going and following after the iniquity. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Then he says, come now, let us reason together. I think one of the sweetest sections of of verses within, if not the whole Bible, definitely within the, the Old Testament. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You see, God's not blinded. He's not blinded to our, to our sin, to our rebellion, to our iniquity. He's not saying, well, that's okay. I won't look at that anymore. I won't consider that anymore. No, he says, no, you're, you're a sinner. Your sins are like scarlet. They're, they're red like crimson. I understand that. He says, but I'm gonna do a work in your life to make them white as snow, to make them like wool. If you are willing, verse 19 says, and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice. Oh, righteousness lodged in it. But now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your wine is mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. I wonder if God had the prophet that spoke about Washington, D.C. today. How many of these things would come into play and how many more? There used to be justice. There used to be righteousness. Therefore, the Lord says, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, "Ah, I will rid myself of my adversaries and take vengeance on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross and take away all your alloy. I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. And afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city." Zion shall be redeemed with justice and her penitence with righteousness. The destruction of the transgressors or of sinners shall be together and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. 
They shall be ashamed of the terebinth trees which you have desired. You shall be embarrassed because of the gardens which you have chosen. For you shall be as a terebinth whose leaf fades and as a garden that has no water. The strong shall be as tender and the work of it as a spark. Both will burn together and no one shall quench them. See, God's prophetic message to them is, I will bring destruction. I'm going to offer you the opportunity to repent and to come back to me. And for the repentant man, you're going to see my blessings. There's no doubt about it. And righteousness and judgment or justice will will surround you. But for those that are non-repentant, the ones that continue to reject the message of God, he says, no, there's going to be destruction. There will be that time of God's wrath. Beloved, that's that's the message that we have all the way from the garden, all the way to the book of Revelation. The man is a sinner in need of a savior. God is more than willing to provide the means of salvation if man would turn back to God. But if man continues on in his rebellion against God, God will eventually come to the point and say, my soul will not always struggle or come you know, with man. There'll come that time when, again, man has made that choice and that determination and God's judgment is going to come. He speaks in chapter two of the, the, the blessings of the, 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 the restoration of Jerusalem. Now, when we look historically, when Israel went into captivity, the northern kingdom, actually when Assyria came down, destroyed Israel, the northern kingdom, they scattered them all over the map. But when Babylon came down against Judah, the southern kingdom, they took a great portion of them up into captivity, into Babylon. And for those years that they were there, again, there was uh, there were some that, that were left down in Judah. And remember, they had to come down and rebuild the temple, rebuild the wall, rebuild the city. But beloved, that's not what he's talking about here. This is not the restored Jerusalem that God is speaking of here in chapter two. Here he's speaking prophetically of that new Jerusalem, that great Jerusalem, again, that we'll see on that day. Because we know when they came back and they rebuilt Jerusalem, when they rebuilt the temple, oh, they didn't do idol worship anymore. They got that out of their system. They know that they're not gonna go to the pagans anymore. But they still were not, again, sold. Uh, They still were not uh, 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 focused on their commitment to the one true God, to Yahweh, to the point that their lives were truly his. And so we never see the fulfillment of chapter two in Israel or in Jerusalem, but we will see that on that day, on the day of the Lord. Uh, and he speaks about that through, he speaks the, uh, again, in, in, in trying not to speak of the whole chapter here, but there's so much. Look at verse six with me, if you would. You have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. They are soothsayers like Philistines, and they are pleased with the children of foreigners. Their land is also full of silver and gold, and there's no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses. There's no end of their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their hands, which their own fingers have made. People bow down to them, and each man humbles himself. Therefore, do not forgive them. And in verse 10, 
enter into the rock, hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. The Lord alone shall be exalted on that day. And he goes on to speak again of the removal of human strength as we get into chapter three. Chapter three, the first verse, for behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah, the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread, the whole supply of water, the mighty man, the man of war, the judge, the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of the 50 and the honorable man, the counselor and the skillful, the artisan and the expert enchanter. I will give children to be their princes and babes shall rule over them. The people will be oppressed, everyone by another and everyone by his neighbor. The child will be insolent toward the elder and the base toward the honorable. In other words, he's gonna take away every strength that they thought that they had before he brings about, again, that, that rebuilding, that renewal. Devastation, devastation, devastation. We see this over and over and over. Verse eight, Jerusalem stumbled, Judah's fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. The look on their countenance witnesses against them. They declare their sin as Sodom and they don't hide it. Woe to their soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. I have never seen in our country, in my 65 short years in our country, the way we have literally glorified the sinfulness of man over and over and over in nearly every way, shape, form, and fashion, every media that is available to us, again, glorifying the sinfulness of man. How can these words not also speak to our nation, one nation that we say, one nation under God, one nation that was formed by, that we believe that God brought us to this nation for a purpose. No, we're not the new Israel. That's not who we are. We are a separate country, but we have blessings that God has brought to us. And yet I look at what Israel has done and I see the very same thing. Down in verse 13, the Lord stands up to plead and stands to judge the people. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and his princes, for you have eaten up the vineyard. In other words, you've consumed everything. You're, you're consuming the people. He speaks about that a little bit later over in chapter five, again, about that, that, that vineyard of the Lord. Verses 16 through 23 speak of absolute and total devastation, taking everything from them. The judgment continually, continually going on. Chapter four speaks about that so many have died. In that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, we will eat our own food, we'll wear our own apparel, only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. Because again, the population had been so devastated. God wants to renew them. God wants to rebuild them. And again, he brings that promise in verse two of chapter four. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. And again, that understanding that we know of the branch as prophetically speaking of Jesus himself. Open our hearts, change us from within. 
That's all we have time to share today, but we're so glad you've joined us. Isn't the Bible a fascinating book to read? There's incredible historical events, crazy scenarios, and a variety of people to keep you intrigued along the way. We hope you'll continue to join us here on The Open Word as Pastor David takes you through the Bible. If what you heard today sparked your interest and you'd like to know more about faith and even who God really is, please contact us. We'd love to talk more with you and share some even more incredible news about your future and the one who can change it, Jesus. Give us a call at 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. If social media is a part of your life, you can connect with us there too. Come like our Facebook page and keep up to date with what's happening at The Open Word and Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. You'll find a link to our website, theopenword.com. Would you like to hear more messages from this series? Here's Pastor David to tell you how. Thanks, Chris. You know, any time you spend in God's Word is valuable. And I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. I know busy schedules can make that hard, but being able to listen to it could just change all that. All of the messages I've shared from the Bible here on The Open Word, they're available to you to listen to online at theopenword.com. Feel free to download them and even share them with anyone you think would benefit. That website again is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in to The Open Word. Make us more and more.